the call for us as creative people, if we want to keep creating beautiful things in the world, is just to get really cozy and comfortable with that feeling of vulnerability and humility that like, I just don't know the answers, but I'm going to follow this thread into the darkness and trust yes. that it will come oh, I just got goosebumps. Yes, that is, that's everything. Writing is an exercise in trust. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I talk to a poet, writer, two-time author, and writing coach, Nicole Galata. Her latest book is called Wild Words. And if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're going to love this book. In it, she teaches you how to do what she calls writing with the seasons, which is a totally fascinating concept, super important. And I had never heard it described this way before. It is going to help you in your writing more than you can imagine. You know how sometimes, no matter how hard you try to write, you just can't seem to get any words on the page? Hello, 2020. (laughs) Today, Nicole shares why that can sometimes be a good thing, how inspiration ebbs and flows, and how in learning to be more present with our writing, we actually do get more writing done. We also dive into a topic that I think is super important for you to hear if you aspire to write, but also have a full-time job that does or doesn't have anything to do with writing. There's this idea that you have to make money from your writing in order to call yourself a writer. And we talk about today why sometimes it might be even better if you don't have a paycheck linked to your writing, how this can actually open you up to a creativity you wouldn't have been able to access otherwise. And finally, I know you guys are going to appreciate this one. We talk about how Nicole got a book contract without first getting a bunch of Instagram followers. So Lots of great content on today's episode. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Nicole Galata. If you want to write but don't know where to start, you're going to love this. Can't wait. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. I'm here with Nicole. I I should have asked you before we started recording how you say your last name. Is it Galota? Galota? Galata. Close. Galata. Okay. Nicole Galata, welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Well, our listeners know this very well by now, but we always start with the exact same question. I'm going to ask you your take on this. What does it mean for you to find your voice? I think that really early on as a writer, I probably thought about it like this sort of one-time aha moment of clarity. But now I... I really think I've come to learn that finding your voice is, it goes so much more beyond that initial spark of recognizing that you have a voice and you want to put pen to paper. And I think that's just sort of the start of building this lifelong relationship to your creativity and learning how it works and and trusting those periods where maybe you're not writing as much and just growing hopefully over a very long course of your writing career. Hmm. That's good. There's just so many trails that we can go down. I want to talk to you about writing. I want to talk to you about your books. I want to talk to you about 
this idea of like seasonal creativity. Mm -hmm. I'm so fascinated by that. But can we first zoom out and can you give our listeners who don't know about you or haven't heard about you yet, can you give them uh, like a little bit of backstory or context to the work that you do? Sure. So the work that I do now, I work as a freelance writer and I'm an author and I host the Wild Words Collective, which is a community for mostly women writers who are interested in seasonal creative living, which we'll get into. But my career has really spanned a, doing a lot of things that were sometimes not necessarily specific to writing and sort of writing adjacent. I spent about 10 years working in philanthropy. I've worked as a food writer. I worked at a public affairs firm. I've done, I'm sort of in like the multi-passionate camp. <laughs> so yes. I've done a lot of different things over time, but now I've kind of settled into what I'm doing now, which is working on a slightly more part-time basis, freelance, and then being able to work on my creative projects on the side. I love it. So I'm curious if we have a lot of listeners who are in that exact camp that you're talking about where writing is not their full-time gig. And I actually think we deal with a lot of the same problems, whether writing is our full-time gig or not. I think most of the best writers that we've read, you know, writing was not their full-time profession. So can you talk about like, did that, did, did living that way cause you to question your identity as writer? How has that progressed? Mm, oh, that's such a good question. I I think initially it did only because I didn't really have the support system built in. Mm. So for so after I I got my MFA in poetry and really up until that point poetry was my main focus. But then when I was done with grad school, I started working full-time. That's when I was at the public affairs firm. So I went through that kind of what felt like at the time was a sort of shocking transition from being Mm -hmm. a full-time student to being a (laughs) full-time professional and like working that, you know, eight, nine hour day and having it be really structured. And I was coming home just feeling super drained and uninspired and kind of confused about what I was supposed to be doing. And I realized that I was in a period of liminal space, not in that moment, which is why I wasn't being very kind to myself at the time. I thought I needed to have everything figured out. And I did sort of wonder, well, am I still a writer? Because I sort of abandoned the thing that was so important to me for so long. And I didn't really know how to blend those two essential kind of ingredients for life where I wanted to write, but I also needed to like pay my bills. So <laughs> yeah. so that, yeah, that took a long time to figure out. I, I did not figure that out quickly. That was sort of an evolution maybe over like 10 years or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I resonate with that completely as a writer. I, and and I, now, I mean, I guess you could say in some ways I'm sort of paying my full-time, I'm paying my bills as a full-time writer, sort mm-hmm. of. But also, you know, I think you and I share this in common. I'm also doing a lot of teaching writing, which I wouldn't necessarily consider paying my bills with writing. I'm paying my bills by teaching other people how to write as well. And so this idea that I had 10 years ago or even more than 10 years ago when I quit my full-time job and I was like, I'm going to go make my way as a professional writer. Mm -hmm. The idea that I had in my head of what that would look like is not how it's turned out. It's, it's not like I, you know, like escape to a cabin in the woods for a week and write a book and it's a bestseller. And I'm right. That's what I thought writing was when I was younger. And so when I finished college, I was like, where's my desk? (laughs) Yes. 
totally. But I think, you know, I, it sounds like you would agree with this. And, and from my casual stalking of your Instagram, I would say you do, <laughs> that um, it's a really good life. You know, it's oh, even yeah. though like the books I'm writing are not necessarily like paying my mortgage, but it's a really, really good life. Oh, yeah. And there, and I've been on both sides. Like, I have done, you know, I've worked full time in an unrelated career and I've worked full time as a writer. And there are pros and cons to to all of it. And I'm just, I'm really a big fan of just trying things because you don't know what works for you until you give it a shot. And you don't know what all the opportunities are out there until you, until you experiment. I mean, I didn't have my first full-time writing job until I was 34. So I spent all that time from like graduating from college until then doing all sorts of things that didn't really have anything to do with my creative writing. But I like to say too, that those day jobs serve as a patron to your work. So yeah. So beautiful. What a beautiful way to say that. You don't have to you know, it changes if you suddenly had to make money from your short stories or like if that was what was paying your rent, it can change the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, it took some time to sort of be comfortable with that description and really embrace it. But I have really seen over the years that my day jobs fuel my work. They give me that foundation and that support yes. system that I need so that I can do whatever I want to do. And if I launch something and it doesn't work, it's fine. I just learn from it and move on. Mm. So it releases a lot of that pressure. Yeah. I had never thought of this until you said it that way, but kind of what's happening when you when you aren't required to pay your bills from the work you're creating, you get to serve the creativity instead of serving the paycheck. Yes. And there's a gift, a beautiful gift in that, that, you know, your, your needs are met, your bills are covered. And so you get to just show up at the page and enjoy the, the great pleasure of creativity, you know, as Steinbeck Mm -hmm. talks about, which you don't always get to do when you have a publisher who's saying, here's what's selling right now. Here's what we'd love to hear from you. Can we frame it this way? You know, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but it's, it's just a different kind the work kind of takes on a different air, I think. when Oh, for sure. And some writers love writing to market and it totally works for them too. So that's why I just, we're all so different in our personalities and what we like to do and the skills that we have. So, and it takes some time to sort of just come into yourself in that way and realize what, how you, how you can make a writing life work with all of those other responsibilities in life. Sure. Can we talk about poetry for a minute? Because I know this is a passion of yours. And I think what happens a lot of times with poetry is because I I was an English major too. I know you have an MFA. I have a a master's in education with an emphasis in writing. So I took a a bunch of poetry classes and fell in love with poetry over time. But I remember a time in my life when I felt like poetry is just so hard to understand and I could never write poetry. And that's the feedback that I hear from a lot of writers that we work with too. But I'm curious if you, could you speak to like the benefit of developing an appreciation for poetry for all writers, even if you're planning to write or publish prose? So it's such a good question. So one of the things I think I love most about poetry, this probably wasn't the thing that drew me to it initially, but as I've kind of settled into life now, the amazing thing about poetry is it forces you to be in the moment. So reading a Mm. poem is an exercise in mindfulness and staying present. And a poem is so short. So, or I mean, some of them are long, but you can read a poem or two in a day and not feel like 
it's something that's on your to-do list that you have to do and you just can't get to it. It's very accessible in terms of how how short it is and you can you can do it like you can read a poem and i just love that when i'm reading that poem i am fully in the moment and i think that lesson and that practice can impact other areas of your life as well whether it's staying present with your family staying present with you know a character you're writing about if you write fiction um there's there's just so much good stuff from just sitting in the moment with that poem and just sort of letting your body feel it. That's so true. I had never thought about that with poetry before, but it is it really is true that the the reason why poetry is so hard for us to quote unquote understand <laughs> is because we live in a culture that makes it really really challenging to stay present in the moment. Oh yeah, every it's literally built around distraction. Yep. And so it's an exercise of that our brains are not used to to come back to the present moment again and again and again. And I think that I think that is why poetry is so challenging for us to wrap our brains around because the whole point the thing that's always baffled me about poetry is the whole point is that it's not supposed to make logical sense. You know, the whole beauty of poetry is that you can say something that doesn't totally make sense. Like even think of like the poetry you read as a child, like Shel Silverstein is kind of like, it's goofy, it's rhymy. It doesn't make total sense, but there's something about it that feels like fun and flirtatious and Mm -hmm. like you can have fun playing with the words and it doesn't have to be uh, sensical. Yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of just give yourself over to that and you don't have to be so serious all the time, which I sometimes fall into that camp. I'm like, my writing is serious, so I can't just be playful. (laughs) Um, But poetry does kind of give you a way into that, even if it's just an exercise and you, you know, you don't really want to do anything with it. I mean, the, the interesting thing about poetry, I've, my experience with it has changed so much over the years. And when the pandemic started out of sheer instinct, I started writing haiku as a way to process what was going yes. on, especially in the spring. I, I didn't even think about it. It was just like 17 syllables. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and and it became kind of a coping mechanism and it brought me back to poetry in an unexpected mm. way, which I was r- very grateful for too. So Amazing. Okay. Can you talk about the connection between poetry and food? Because you talked about being a food yeah. writer, food blogger, and you have a cookbook. So yeah, the, what's the connection there? Yeah, so I was no well, I guess I should maybe give some context too to sort of like how that sure, blog yeah. even started. So I started my first food blog. This was back in maybe like early 2008. And it was at, at the suggestion of a friend. He was over for dinner one night and he's like, "Hey, like why don't you start a food blog?" And that was kind of like a cool thing to do back then. It was like the early days of food blogging. And by this point, kind of like I talked about, poetry was sort of, it had faded from my life a little bit. I wasn't writing poetry. I wasn't reading it, I w- but I was cooking a ton. And so I just jumped into this idea of a food blog as a way to try something new. I hadn't written about food much before that. So it was kind of finding my voice with food as its center and storytelling in that way. And so I wrote that blog for almost four years. And that's when I started to feel like I had this itch for something else. I didn't know quite what it was, but I was starting to notice that poetry at that point was 
almost completely absent from my life, but I kind of had this longing Mm -hmm. for it. And I didn't know what to do about that. So I missed it, but I didn't have a solution quite yet. And so one day I was in our apartment and I pulled down a book of poetry from the shelf that I hadn't looked at in forever. And it was a book by Louise Gluck. And I turned to a poem called Baskets. And in that poem, we follow this woman through a market and she's picking up lemons and she's looking at lettuces. And there was all this sort of sensory food stuff and description in the poem. And I really had one of those lightning bolt moments. And I thought I can write a recipe from these ingredients. Mm -hmm. So I'd been doing that I'd been doing food writing for like four or five years and suddenly it just completely fused with, you know, with poetry in a way that made me incredibly excited. So I closed my old food blog. I started eatthispoem.com and didn't really look back from there. And the connection for me that I love so much is that I sort of feel like the poet and the chef or the home cook, you were really doing similar things. Like we're taking Mm -hmm. separate ingredients at starting from nothing and we're transforming them into something new. So with the poet, like you have, you have different tools, you know, like language or metaphor or, um, you know, the way you structure a poem or something. And then you have, you know, a notebook and a pencil. And then when you're in the kitchen, you know, you have your knife, you can do a certain kind of knife cut, you can braise, you can saute, like you can use different ingredients, whatever it is. And you create a dish, you create a poem. So I really saw those two sort of creative acts overlapping and that sort of the place that I that I started from. Wow, that's so beautiful. I had never thought about it that way, but it's that's really very true. Yeah. So Eat This Poem is your first book, right? Your first mm-hmm. published book? Yeah. Okay. Can you talk about the process of getting that book into the world? Um, and I'll preface that by saying we have a lot of listeners I know who are in the idea phase, they're like, I think maybe I might have a book to write, but it's all very overwhelming because people tell me that I need Instagram followers and I don't have Instagram followers and I'm not even sure it's that good of an idea and I'm not really a writer and whatever, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I so resonate with that. (laughs) Okay. So talk to us about like from conception to, you know, delivery of this book into the world. What did that look like for you? Okay, so the first thing I will say about that is the time frame for me was almost exactly five years from the moment I started talking with the publisher to the moment that I had a book in my hands. And one of the reasons that it took a little bit longer was because of what you mentioned, I didn't have that many Instagram followers. And so I really needed to work on building my audience and my platform and all of that. So what happened with me, which I know is a little bit unusual is that I had an acquisitions editor email me directly. She had read my blogs or some people at the uh, at Roost Books had read the blog. And they contacted me and were like, hey, we love this concept. Have you ever thought about turning this into a cookbook? So that kind of put the seed in my mind about really turning it into a book. And so it sounds really great. Like a publisher contacted me and they want to publish yeah. my book. <laughs> but it did not, they did not give me a contract for three years. So 
everything that I had to do in that time. So I had to write, you know, write the proposal. Of course, I didn't have an agent for a very long time. So I hired a food editor to help me who works with cookbooks and, and all of that to help me polish my proposal. So I did that piece. And then there was a ton of waiting. So the editor was really wonderful. And she was like, Oh, we have an editorial meeting on Tuesday. And of course, I'd be like refreshing my email. It was, it was not healthy. I mean, eventually, I realized I have to just live my life. And they will contact me when they have more info. But it was just this long, what felt like a very long drawn out process of like, okay, we really like this, but the table of contents feels a little off. Could you go back and maybe think about it? Which in the end, because I worked with a smaller kind of indie press, I had a lot of hands-on work with the editors and they, they were totally open with just coming back to me and saying, you know what? take some time to think about this and come back when you've kind of reorganized everything. And so it was sort of this gift to just give me the space to rethink it and and to make it better than it was. Mm. You know, and that all of course took time. And the, one of the main things they were concerned about was that my audience was small. You know, I was this, I was a food blogger, but a very niche food blogger within this like great sea of food bloggers that were out there. So it was kind of this, you know, quiet book and, you know, it's not for everybody, um, which is fine, but they really were like, okay, you need to have more people on your website. So I spent like one to two years coming up with all these ways to try to market my blog and get more eyeballs on it. I tried doing poetry contests. I started the Literary City Guide series, which is kind of dormant now, but for many years, that was like the number one driver to my site. So that really helped me think out of the box. I had guest editors curate tips for their towns and stuff kind of with a literary spin. And then I started the number one thing that I tell writers is start a newsletter. Start it before you've written your book. Start it before you think you need to do it. Because whether you're doing self-publishing or going with a big press, like who's going to read your book? You know, like you need to have those people that are already in your corner. And I think the numbers for a newsletter are more important than having a big Instagram following or Facebook. You know, it's like pick one social media platform that you sure. that you feel good about. But your newsletter, that has been my bread and butter for seven or eight years now. Yeah. So that's always my my big advice for people that want to write a book one day is to be able to cultivate that community around your work. I think is is huge. So I was kind of, you know, going back and forth with I would give them like metrics updates like every two months. Like I was really trying to show them that I was doing the work and I was trying all the things that I could think of. And then I finally got to the point, this was maybe like three or almost four years in. I was literally like nine months pregnant. I was like about to give birth. I knew based on what was happening with the editorial meetings that they were close to giving me an offer and I knew I needed an agent. Like I I couldn't handle dealing with all of the legal stuff at that point and I needed someone on my team for that. So I ended up finding an agent. It's like the power of the internet. I had a friend whose newsletter I was on. I wrote back to her for some like unrelated thing and mentioned that I was working on a book proposal. And she's like, oh, have you talked to so-and-so? And she got me connected with an agent, friend of hers, who passed me along to my now agent. I had a phone call with her on a Friday afternoon. She sent me a contract for the agency that same day. On Monday, my son was born, and on Tuesday, I got my book contract. Oh so my god! All happened 
And it sounds like this crazy, like, storm of things happening all at once. And on the one hand, it was, but it, on the other hand, I had done all of that work to prepare for that moment. Yes. So so it all just happened at the right time, but I had done years and years of work to, to get to that point where everything was just ready to flow. So yeah, it was, so it was quite a journey. So once I got the contract, thankfully the book was basically written at that point. The other thing I, I want to mention here too, is it took me about a year, but I eventually stopped waiting for permission to write the book and I just wrote it. Because I was waiting for the publisher to say, oh, we're ready to publish this now. Great. And I decided that, you know what, like my life right now, like I have the space to do it. And if I don't start writing, it's just going to take even longer once they are ready. So I just took that risk and and just decided that I was going to write the book, which was great because I couldn't have done it, you know, having just had a baby. So (laughs) yeah. That's so important. Such important advice to stop waiting for permission to yeah. do the thing that you know you want to do and just do yeah. it because it's never going to be wasted time. It's never going to no. be wasted work. Even if those aren't words that you end up publishing, they're still words that have an impact on you and your personal life and your development and transformation as a writer and as a person. So yeah. And you also, I think you would agree with this, but this can segue, segue into talking about the cycles of creativity, but mm-hmm you can trust the invitation into the creative process. So if you're feeling like now is the time to write, then do it. Yeah. yeah, Don't talk yourself out of it because you don't have a publishing contract. It's like, just sit down and get the writing done. Yeah. Okay. So let's transition into talking about the cycles of creativity. I'm really, really fascinated to hear your take on this. Yeah. So with the seasons of creativity, this is all part of Wild Words, which is my second book. And that whole concept really grew out of my journey into motherhood. So I remember when my son, so he's five now, and when he was just a few months old, I was in my living room, he was sleeping, and I was just sort of having one of those moments where I was like looking around at my new life and trying to orient myself. (laughs) And I'm sure you're very familiar now. I am very familiar with that. (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of had this realization that in order to ever write again, I basically needed to throw out everything I knew and start over and come up with a new way of relating to my creativity. Because at that point, like we talked about with Eat This Poem, I had recently finished writing Eat This Poem. So I was in the production stage with that and, you know, and doing some of that final stuff, but I wasn't creating it from scratch. And mm. I really had kind of this visceral feeling like, I don't know if I'll actually be able to do this again because the circumstances that I wrote Eat This Poem under were like completely unrecognizable to me now. Mm. So I knew that I needed a new plan. And one of the things I was realizing in those early days, kind of in that fourth trimester fog, is that babies, you know, they change so quickly and all these milestones happen. And as soon as you get comfortable doing one thing, they're like on to the next, you know, and it's, you can never really get super, super comfortable because things are always shifting. And survival basically requires that you are present and you're adaptable and you embrace where you are and move forward from that space. So with those lessons in mind, I started thinking, okay, so what if I took that philosophy that I've been learning, you know, kind of as my intro to parenthood, and what if I applied all of that 
to my writing life. And so that's really where this framework of seasonal creative living started for me. So with Wild Words, it's organized in 10 chapters and they're all inspired by the different seasons in a writer's life. So like the season of self-doubt, which is sort mm. of constant, the season of beginnings yeah. when you're at the early stages of a project, the season of retreating when you feel like you need to pull back, a season of liminal space when you're in between, all these things that up until that point, I had never... I never really named them before. I was just kind of doing my type A thing, like hyper-efficient and just plowing through. And I I knew I could not move forward like that. Mm -hmm. So in that naming and sort of embracing that cyclical energy of my writing life, for me, that was kind of the turning point that I found to just be an antidote to the hustle culture that we live in and the feeling yes. of constantly being on a hamster wheel and comparing myself to other writers and seeing like, oh, well, they're far over here and they're doing this thing that I wanted to do, but I'm way back here. And I've just found having this seasonal framework and looking at my writing life through that lens to just be such a gentle and sustainable way to support myself. And I once I figured that out for myself and realized what it was, I wanted to share that message with others. Mm. It's so beautiful. You know, nothing I am, as you know, like in the very, I'm barely out of the fourth trimester. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just turned, she turned three months last weekend. So she's like three months and five days or something. And wow, like in the middle of a pandemic too, it's just been like so intense. But I, the thing I keep saying is like, nothing will crush your type A-ness, like having a child. It's like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Oh, you think you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like be really good at life? And I was telling my husband the other day, this is sort of a tangent, but I was like, if someone were to ask me what being a new parent is like, I would say, imagine that you got a new job in a completely different industry than you've ever worked in before. Um, You don't know any of the vocabulary. You don't know how any of the machinery works. You also are only allowed to sleep for two hours at a time. Oh, and so and oh, by the way, yeah. if you do the job wrong, somebody <laughs> dies. <laughs> That's like it's like it's the steepest of all time. But you know, there are some there are some parallels that you're pointing out and that I've seen too between parenting and creativity, which yeah. is like the only thing you can really do is just keep showing up to the page in spite yeah. of your self-doubt and in spite of the feeling like you don't even know if this is going to turn into anything good. And, you know, like I make the joke, I'm like, I wish I knew if I was doing a good job. I wish I could be like, hey, Nella, like, do you, am I a good mom? Like, do, yeah. <laughs> do you like your life? And creativity writing is so similar. It's like the most fish out of water feeling in the beginning. And just when you think that you're getting used to it, then something changes yeah. and you're not used to it anymore. And I think the call for us as creative people, if we want to keep creating beautiful things in the world, is just to get really cozy and comfortable with that feeling of vulnerability and humility that like, I just don't know the answers, but I'm going to follow this thread into the darkness and trust yes. that it will come oh, out. I just got goosebumps. Yes, that is, that's everything. It's just, it's this exercise, like writing is an exercise in trust every time mm-hmm. you show up. Yes. And I think the longer you write, the more comfortable you become with your creativity and how it works. And I sort of said at the beginning, like, I really believe we are in relationship with our creativity, like a lifelong relationship, and we have to pay attention and work with it. And our lives, you know, 
five years ago are probably very different than they are now. And the, and we have to adapt to move forward and yeah. we can't stay, you know, wishing that things were different. Um, we have to just look at what do we have right now? What are our current circumstances looking like? What time do I have? How can I make space and, and just mm. move, move from there? Yeah. It's really good. Is there anything you talked a little bit about wild words? And I know this is what you're talking about now is a lot of the content that's in the book. But is there anything else you'd want to say to a reader who is thinking about picking up a copy of the book? Like what, what, um, yeah, what encouragement would you give to them? Or, or why should they go buy a copy of this book right now? Oh, yeah, that's good. I, I mean, I wrote it for you like that. When I was writing this book, I, was so conscious of having a reader on the other end who was going through the same stuff that I was going through and didn't have the tools and the framework to feel supported in their life and in their writing life. And so the book is, for me, just meant to be an encouragement to you. It's meant to sort of support you on the journey and something you can dip in and out of at any point. And to also just give you language for what might be for some readers, a new kind of relationship with their creativity and to feel a lot of confidence in that. And, and really ultimately to feel like you are exactly where you are supposed to be. Ooh, yes. I'll repeat that. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. What does the writing life look – what does it look like for you right now? Mm, oh, it's so different. <laughs> this is where yeah. I live out all of those lessons that I <laughs> – Yeah. Well, hold on. Let me yeah. ask a side question inside of there. Is it different because of pandemic life? Is it different mostly. because of – I would say mostly the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I was basically in a situation where I kind of had my perfect – writing life so for mm. like a year. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but my family and I relocated from Los Angeles to North Carolina a couple of years ago. I transitioned to working more freelance, kind of part-time so I could spend some more time with my son as well. And we got him you know, settled in school and he was in school four days a week. So we had like a nice hangout day for the two of us. And I picked him up at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I had these dedicated hours. And sometimes I had to run errands and do, you know, house stuff, but I had time that I could do whatever I wanted with. I could take care of myself. I could focus on my work and it was bliss. It was just absolute bliss for me. It was exactly the kind of life that I had been working towards for a long time when I would think of like my dream writing life. You know, and then the pandemic came and my son was not <laughs> in school and my mm-hmm. husband is on Zoom calls most of the day. Yeah. And so it's, you know, been a challenge. I think for the first few months, I couldn't really do anything. And I felt kind of grateful that I was not because Wild Words came out in October of last year. So I had a few months okay. of promotion and stuff before the pandemic hit. And I, I did have to cancel some 2020 events, but I was not like in the middle of writing the book, or I was really at the telltale end of that whole process. So I was kind of grateful for that, that I didn't have anything I really had to do. And those first few months, it was just, it was just complete survival and kind of fight or flight mode. I mentioned that I started writing haiku as, you know, a coping mechanism and all of that. And I'm only 
just now starting to feel like, okay, I know what I can expect from our days. We're mm. in, we're in some new rhythms that feel good for us. I know I can count on like an hour, hour and a half ish every afternoon. And I can start thinking about some things that I want to do again. But yeah, it's been hard. It's been, yeah, I don't know. It's why I love the haiku project that you did, because there's something about that kind of creativity where it doesn't have to be quite so linear. That's really healing for us when we're in a space of trauma, which, you know, whether you call it for for some people during this time, it's been big T trauma. And for some people, it's been little T trauma. But yeah, regardless, either way. Yeah, it's, it's a trauma. It's like, a lot of change all at once. And especially if you're a parent at home trying to homeschool your kids and work at the same time. And it's, it's just a lot for any human being to handle. And I think sometimes when you're in it, you're like, no, we're doing this. We're making it from day to day. And then when you step out of it for a second, you're like, whoa, this has been a lot. And, and poetry, I have found poetry to be a really amazing healing balm in the midst of trauma. So I'm really glad that you are facilitating that on Instagram. By the way, what's your Instagram handle? Hold on. Oh, Oh, it's just just at Nicole Galata. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. I have been doing this year. I'm, I was thinking about doing another one soon, a 30 day haiku challenge, just to give people something to kind of anchor onto. And it is nice to have something kind of like you said, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be any particular thing. I was sort of realizing too, this year, I was coming out of probably like a period of five or so years where I was always in a constant state of book writing, whether I was writing the book, promoting the book, like prepping Mm -hmm. for, I was just always doing book something. So I kind of woke up one day and thought, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything specifically book related right now. This feels very strange. (laughs) So suddenly I had this space where I could just pursue things that didn't have to turn out a certain way, or they just had no expectation on them whatsoever, which has been kind of nice right now. And sometimes I will say too, my writing life, I will take a nap instead of write, you know, like I will (laughs) choose, you know, exercise instead of write. So a lot of my quote writing time is just kind of general self-care stuff too. And it's been a lot of letting go of things and being totally okay with that and just kind of waiting for my creativity to come back. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I felt like it just disappeared a little bit because it was under so much strain. <laughs> and sure. over the yeah. summer, I started feeling like, okay, like just a little flicker of it again. And now yeah. I'm um, heading into the fall. I'm really starting to think about a new project, which is so exciting. But it took you know 10 months for me to get back to that. But that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us can, can really identify with that. Julia Cameron talks about, you know, nurturing and caring for your writer, the writer Mm -hmm. in you. And I think that's so important that just remember that even when we're not writing, we're writing. It's just because you take a pause on writing doesn't mean that you're not a writer anymore. Which brings me to my final question, which is, you know, it can be the writing life is not the dream we have of it, of it in our heads. Right. <laughs> <can be> challenging <laughs> and there's resistance that we have to overcome. And we have to find space for it and we have to kind of fight for space for it. Yeah. And we have to like, you know, navigate the waves that come with inspiration and lack of inspiration. And what is it for you that keeps you coming back to the writing process? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I think for me, writing is just sheer necessity. It's a physical sensation of 
needing to get something down and needing to understand something about myself or the my place in the world. It's really this urging that has been with me since I was eight years old. And so it's the one thing that I think brings me back to myself and always makes me feel the most aligned with who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I keep doing it even if I only have five minutes and that's all I can yes. do. Yeah. That's that I say that on repeat to our writers. Yeah. You know, that creating a daily practice of writing is one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. So I call it writing in the margins. Yeah. Yes. I love yeah. that. If if you're listening and that's really resonating with you, go follow Nicole on Instagram because she, you know, not only has the haiku project, but also does a really great job of you know, just providing inspiration and walking you through the process of cultivating that regular practice of writing. So she's a great resource for you. Where else can people find you, Nicole? I think the best place is probably going to thewildwords.com. That's sort of my hub for the writing community that I support. You can find a lot of good links there and blog posts and free courses and stuff like that. Amazing. Other thing I love about your Instagram is all of your book recommendations. I'm such a fan. I'm like... Scrolling through your Instagram going, I haven't read that one. I haven't read that one. <laughs> I have to say, I've been pleasantly surprised with how much I've been reading this year, which maybe is sort of a byproduct of the pandemic. I just, yeah. I love just being taken away by a book. I think it's also a coping mechanism. <laughs> sure. Yes. A very healthy coping mechanism. Yes, it's better absolutely. than my red licorice and nuts that I've been doing this yeah, year. Yeah, so. chocolate, obviously. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Nicole, for your time. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. And yeah, we'll have you back on again sometime. This has been really fun. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.